everyone. Welcome to the Game Dev London podcast, a community of game developers and game enthusiasts talking about the one thing they enjoy the most, games. Uh, my name is Nicola Humphreys. You can refer to me as she, her, uh, and I'll be your host for today. And today we are joined by Randy. Randy, how about you introduce yourself to those who may not know you in the game dev space? Hello, my name is Randy Vasquez. Um, I'm a game designer, and I think I've been designing games for a little bit, just a few years. So um, I play a lot of RPGs. I play basically a lot of everything. I play a lot of tabletop, board games, everything. Kind of the typical nerd. I'm very typical for a nerd, you know? Like all the anime, like <laughs> all the games and all that stuff. But that's about it. I guess you have questions for me or something today, you know? Yeah, I've got, I've got plenty of questions to ask you. And like we can go so deep into the, into the world of uh, game design. And we can really like dissect what it is to be a game designer. Nice. Let's get into it. But, uh, yeah, but before we go into that topic, what I like to do is like ask uh, all our guests a little icebreaker question just so then the audience can get to know you a little bit more. Um, yeah, so my icebreaker question for you would be, if you had to be part of any video game universe, what would it be and why? Ooh, so actually I've been thinking about this one. So I I think I want to, I, I would want to kind of live in a cozy world like a cozy game, you know, like Animal Crossing. Was always, people are always giving each other gifts. People are always feeding each other. There's pie everywhere. You know, there's cakes and stuff. Because, like, I feel like if you say any other world, like if you say one of your favorite worlds from your favorite game, right, there's, like, desolation. There's, like, destruction happening, people dying, or some crazy mess happening. So it's like, I'm like, I don't want to go to that. I'm like, I already have this world. I want to go to a nice one that people will, like, give me stuff, and they're trying to make the world better. So I was thinking about, like, Animal Crossings. Not Sims because Sims will just people just mess with you, and if I'm if I have to become a Sim, it'd be terrible. So yeah, that's that's kind of why I think I'd go to a cozy game like Stardew Valley or Animal Crossing mm -hmm. or something like that in that world. Dude, those are those are great worlds to choose from, and like I I kind of get it with the Sims because I feel like there's that weird sort of like underlining NPC sort of vibe to the Sims, and it's like who is actually in control, and it's sort of like as that whole metaphysical question about it and it's like i don't know something uneasy about living in the world in sims that's the thing like i was just, i was thinking about the sims i was talking to someone about it and then we were talking about like oh man if you become a sim you're nothing more than an npc and then your npc is basically like a little hand goes down and grabs you and just does stuff and you're just like what is happening so like i'm like that just <laughs> that just seems more frightening than anything else now you know when we were thinking mm -hmm. about it so yeah cozy game i'm going cozy game so i can live a nice. good life and just relax and chill <laughs> no, that's that's, uh, that's definitely a good vibe, and like I totally agree. I wouldn't be like slime rancher just because it's all you have to do is just take care of slimes, put them in a farm, and just live your day. And mm -hmm. that's that's what you need to do. Occasionally change the uh, color theme of your house and your clothing, and mm -hmm. then that's it. <laughs> that's that's another thing. One of the people people were talking about, like, oh man, I would totally live like an Elden Ring because I love that game. And I'm like, are you thinking about the question though? Like you were being <laughs> teleported there. And like a bunch of us watch Isekai too, so it's like kind of that thing of like, now if I was Isekai and I had like OP, but still like I wouldn't want to go to any some of these worlds, you know? <laughs> Just I don't know. I'll stay cozy. That's my answer. Final answer. Cozy. <laughs> Final answer. Locked in. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, moving on to like the the topic of the this this episode, uh, we're going to talk all things game design and what is game design. Mm -hmm. So according to the CG Spectrum online, uh, a game designer is a creative driver responsible for bringing uh, a game to life. Mm -hmm. So I'd be curious, what would you define? How would you define game design? So 
I basically hate all definitions of game design, of what a game designer <laughs> okay. is. And the reason why is because it's such a nebulous term, right? You have so many different mm -hmm. type of designers. You have so many different type of skill sets and people have so many different focuses and stuff like that. And like, um, I wrote something a long time ago that I was going to share actually with you here. And I wrote this as part of a presentation for a elementary school that I was presenting of, hey, this is a career of a video game designer, right? And so I kind of wrote like a game designer is a dreamer, a tinkerer, a thinker, an artist, an avid reader, a problem solver, a gamer, an entertainer, a writer, a historian, an architect, an explorer, a scientist, a teacher, and a student. And mm -hmm. to, to put it all in, we're the glue for the game project and we're a jack of all trades. And to me, I think this stands out because like it just kind of the term game designers, all the stuff that we do, the tasks that we do and what we do, like it kind of just explodes into what needs to be done. Yes, that needs to be done. I need to learn this new thing to do something. Okay, I will do that. So there's so many just facets that we do within game design that there's no really one definition of what we are, you know? So that is the reason why I hate most definitions because it's like, we're a little bit of everything. Like, tell me like a project that you've worked on that you haven't done research, you know? That you haven't done some writing, that you haven't done you know, looking into like some buildings or architecture or something like that. Like there's so much information out there that everything is kind of within our domain that we have to look at mm -hmm. and get inspiration from. So yeah, that's what game design is to me. <laughs> it's all of that. <laughs> to be fair, yeah, it's, it's such a, a wide range of definitions that could, could definitely cover game design. And like, I always think of it of like having hands in like several different pies at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, which is a funny image to also think about, um, just like putting hands in pies and running around a festival. But um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. There's so many different definitions that you could define game design. But um, yeah, there's so many books, yeah. and they just they all describe it so differently. Like it's such a nebulous term. Like I've been in this industry for about 20 years, and every time my parents ask me, "Well, like, what do you actually do?" and I'm like, "Every job I'm at, it's a completely different answer," and they're like. They don't understand because like my role keeps changing based on the needs of the company, needs of the project, you know? Mm. So it's always really tough because like, you know, we generate ideas, we create documents, we create game data. Sometimes we're building levels and a lot of problem solving going in, fixing bugs, or sometimes we're fixing systems that like, well, we only have this much time to do this. So we can't really think about it too much. We just have to go and then we'll like mm. deal with the consequences there, right? And then we have to also entertain the player at the same time, teach the player. We have to balance stuff, you know? We have to tell stories sometimes. We have to create systems, balance those systems. We have to create data, like the content, you know? And then we also have to keep up with the new technology that's always changing, like the new engines and stuff like that. Like even the change from like Unreal 5.0 to 5.2, there's some decent changes that if we don't keep up with that, then we'll be like, why isn't this working anymore? I don't like, mm. you know? we're constantly evolving and stuff like that so i don't know we always have to learn like that's what the designers to me every single developer has to keep learning to keep up with the industry no yeah and i feel like that definitely applies heavily to game design because not only are we learning about the the stuff that we use and the tools that we that, that we're uh, using it's also learning what the other departments are doing as well so you have to learn uh the tools parallel to like your your peers essentially as well mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's trying to, it's interesting, like when I'm talking to engineers from other industries, 
and they're like they talk to design or something like that and they're like oh we talked to design design has this thing there's no tech talk but then i feel like in the game industry we kind of the designers we have to understand the tech that we're working with we have to understand the underlying hierarchy of systems and like how those things interconnect so much keener because you know like there's so many different um, influential things and we're not just building something to be functional we're building something functional and then we're also making something to be fun and entertaining hopefully Mm -hmm. otherwise you're doing it wrong but it's fine (laughs) no that makes sense that makes sense and like at the end of the day game designers are making things for the players and if you're not making it for the players then who are you really making it for that's the thing is i feel like there's some developers out there that really get a chance to make the game for themselves and if people like it cool if people don't they're like they don't really they're like whatever i made this game and it was cool that's why i really really like a lot of the indie games because Mm -hmm. i don't feel i don't feel like they don't design for a target audience where like bigger companies the triple a you know even double a and stuff they're the ones that i think tend to like have a target audience in mind and then they just build a game that they think this target audience would like and I do like that you said, like, who are we making this game for? Because, like, I feel a mm-hmm. lot of things within development, we just forget that. And, I mean, it's like we always need to have a target. We always need to have some type of, like, player profile in mind when we're designing our systems to content, stories, everything. Yeah, that, that, that makes total sense. And, uh, like, like you said, with, like, the indie games as well, like, even if the game developer is the game audience, it's still, like, making something towards them as well. So... It's always, even though there may not be a written target audience down there, may still be one, uh, mm-hmm. just unofficially. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm. Uh, but earlier you mentioned that you were almost describing game design to your parents. So I'd be curious, and like, yeah, I'd be curious, what would you say are some of the like biggest misconceptions about game design that people might have like on the outside perspective of the games industry? Well, I mean, according to my parents, we do nothing but play games all day. Like, we seriously just sit at the computer with the controller, and we're just like, yeah, this is cool. And, like, that's all we do. And I'm like, that, oh, okay. But then um, it's really funny because, like, I would always build these beast of a machines, right? And my dad was like, why do you need these beasts of machines if you're just going to play games? And I'm like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. here, you know, and I was showing him. So let me take a step back, actually. Um, So I started in the industry actually as an artist, a 3D artist. Mm -hmm. I was a tech artist for a while. And I was just working with indie teams here and there and stuff like that. But I had to do a lot of rendering. I had to do a lot of rigging. And, you know, I did a lot of do a mail scripting um, in Maya and everything. So, like, <clears throat> that is the background I came from. So when I moved back home for a little bit as I was looking for work and working on indie projects, because, like, you know, times were hard working indie at that time. Because this is, like, early millennia, like 2002. And, you know, like, indies, indie projects, you jump on. Sometimes you get paid. Sometimes you don't based on how the project goes. And I remember my dad was just watching me work one day and it was just like long hours and stuff. And he was like, so how is this? What is this? What is this? And I was showing him how I was getting the character to move around. And then I had to render it and the render took forever. And he was like, why is the render taking so long? And I was like, all right, let me show you. And I got, I put that render on a different machine on the, the norm, one of the normal machines. And it took like four times longer. And I'm like, this is why I need a beast of a machine. And then my dad started doing video editing some years later. And then he finally understood like oh my god i need a beast machine for this you know um but let's go back to the regular the original question though (laughs) is which i already forgot now see uh yeah i mean the the original question are like what is some of the misconceptions Mm -hmm. that people have about game design yeah 
So get back on track then. Sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, again, like Tangents my parents are always welcome. <laughs> yeah. My parents always thought we just play video games. We don't do anything. Um, they also have a lot of misconceptions about how um, we're not normal or like, you know, like mm -hmm. we're a little bit different than society because of our interest. But I think that's so much changing too, because our interests are aligned with so much more people now. Back in the day, it was a lot of delineation between like, you know, even people that listen to a certain type of music, you hung out with the people that listen to that type of music. Now that's getting more spread out. The same thing with games, you know, games are becoming so much more mainstream now. So I think those misconceptions little by little are kind of going through. So back in the day, I would tell people, oh, I'm a game developer. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And like, they were just like, they were kind of just like, mm -hmm. you know, but nowadays people <laughs> are game dev like, oh man, cool. What'd you work on? You know, then you can actually have a conversation. So I think people are more willing to talk about games and development and stuff. So as it becomes more mainstream and now with my parents, like um, when I had worked on a few games, my dad, he was working at some small little mom and pop place with, um, with just like where he works on computers, right? So he builds computers and he does technician stuff. And some of the guys he works with, you know, like I went to visit him at work one day and I had a t-shirt on for God of War, you know, and they're like, oh, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that t-shirt? I'm like, hmm, my, my work gave it to me. And they're like, work gave that to you? Like, what do you mean work gave it to you? I'm like, oh, I'm a game developer. And they're like, oh my God. Like they were so interested in talking to me. And I was just like, I'm a rock star. Don't you know? <laughs> but like, but it kind of that didn't happen back in the day and it's happening more now so i think those misconceptions are definitely changing another misconception i think is my parents all see gamers as lazy because all they see is us playing a game but then a few times that my dad had asked him like so all you're doing is playing the game i don't see you working and i'm like i am working watch and then i'd explain to him the system how it worked why it worked that way what i would do to change it and kind of just start analyzing the game i mean i'm pretty sure you've done the same thing when you start playing a game you're just sitting there playing it but then you're like your brain is just in the background feeling like okay that's what they did I'm like okay why'd they make this decision why'd they make start tracking things down and you start kind of building that mental map in your head right and so misconception definitely is like i'm not doing anything i'm just sitting there just playing a game looking like a zombie you know <laughs> but it's actually their thinking and stuff and actually like taking i always have a notepad next to me writing notes and kind of just being like all right what can i learn from this and again, going back to the learning and stuff like that, another misconception is like, we're just, we're not doing anything, right? We're not contributing anything. But then again, we're entertainers. Whenever the world goes into a recession, right? The one industry, the one industry that rises up is entertainment. People stop traveling. They have extra money because they're not traveling. Boom. Where's that money funnel to? That money funnels to games. Um, you kind of saw that during the pandemic a little bit. We saw that too. A few other um, dips in here and there where, you know, games get a huge boost because people are staying home. They're playing big games, whether they're playing board games, they're playing family games, they're playing online games and stuff like that. So that's why like a lot of MMOs and a lot of these online games, they have a they have a space, you know? But it's always a trend. No, yeah, that, uh, that I totally agree with that. And like I, you could definitely see it in the pandemic, like even myself who has never really picked up an MMO before, uh, I got really into WoW and now I have like too many hours on it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Describe too many hours. <laughs> Well, 
I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, oh, I can just hop in for five minutes, almost treating it like making a coffee, just like, oh, you know, I'll pop in here. And then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, new content. I'll totally do that. And it involves a pet. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. I will take this new pet. <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh, there's new content involving a pet. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, like, I totally agree with some of the misconceptions that people have about game design because like, when I talk to my family about what I do, it's usually the first question is, oh, so you code, right? And I'm like, not mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, just like trying to explain to them like what I actually do in a day-to-day life, it sort of broadens their horizons and they don't think that's what they would have mm-hmm. expected the explanation to be. Yeah, I normally would get always like, oh, you do the characters. I'm like, no, but yes, but no. And they're like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. So it's always those things. Even I think within the industry itself, like when you have talked to some people, like they still don't really fully understand what design does. And I think also another misconception, even within the industry is like anyone that has an idea can be a designer because it's not just about ideas, right? It's all about like getting those ideas implemented and making sure that that's the right idea for the game. And -hmm. I think that is kind of a talent that, not a lot not everyone has or not doesn't have an understanding of you know because everyone has ideas and ideas are great but ideas are worth nothing if you can't implement that idea and you can't make that idea a reality and i think that's Mm -hmm. one thing that designers that's what we do we take this and we take the intangible and and make tangible out of it you know yeah and like i've used the analogy before of like game designers with these people who have like 10 different puzzles and they're trying to get the different pieces from different puzzles to solve one cohesive image. But I feel like you could also describe it as like game designers, the people putting together recipes in a way. Mm-hmm. So we're the ones being like, oh, actually you need 500 grams of sugar rather than 450 if you want more of like a sweet tooth audience kind of thing. So Who measures? Like... You just throw stuff in and it just works. <laughs> no, can't do that with baking. It's a science. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't bake. <laughs> That's why we design instead. Exactly. I'm not gonna quit my day job for going to go bake. Be like, <laughs> go bankrupt in like a day. I can make brownies, and I'm that's it. I'm happy. <laughs> some chocolate chip brownies or some curly whirly brownies. Curly whirly <laughs> brownies. I need to see pictures mm-hmm. of these. What even that is? Oh, curly whirly is like a British chocolate bar. You put it in the free freezer to like shatter it later, and mm-hmm. mix it in the brownie mix. It's delicious. <laughs> Okay, I'll have to look this up, or maybe you send me the link later to what they are, because that sounds interesting, to say the least. Curly wellies are a delicacy. <laughs> the finest of the delicacies. <laughs> um, we're going back to game design. Yes. <laughs> Got distracted. You were... <laughs> I mean, it's very easy to talk about chocolate, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you mentioned before about like programming and like you were a, a tech artist earlier in your uh, game design career. So, from all your experience, what would you say is like the the game designer toolbox? Like, what, yeah. Ooh, um, I don't know. That's kind of tough because. Mm-hmm depending on the studio right so like when i when i going back to like when i mentioned god of war like when i worked on god of war we i was i was an encounter designer there i just focused on encounters combat and the pacing and flowing of the combat right and i luckily was a tech artist that used maya very well the rest of my team um they knew how to they move around in maya and do like basic stuff but they didn't know how to do the nitty-gritty so like i was able to just jump in 
and I was zooming around Maya doing stuff, you know, and adding little things that I knew wouldn't get exported out. So I wouldn't break anything because I've broken stuff. And I'm like, ooh, that's not good. But anyways, besides that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so I was able to use my skills from Maya and work with that because like on God of War, we didn't have an editor. We did everything in Maya. So like I had to place locators. I had to place this little like little like things, you know, these little pointers and be like, this is a character and this is another character. Then I had to make like little beads for the path that they're going to follow. Then I had to do all the stuff in Lua scripting. So then I had to export Lua and the Maya stuff at the same time. So it went to the PS, the PS4 dev kit, you know, and was like, cool, this is how it works, you know? But like, if I didn't have that previous experience and I would have had to learn Lua and I would have had to learn Maya on top of that. But it was also really cool because like, because I knew Maya, I knew how to manipulate a lot of the the cameras and stuff really quickly. So then I started making maps of all my levels. And then I would plan my levels out on paper first and kind of play around with stuff. So like again, going back to like a board game, um, whenever I'm working on a level or I'm working on a current thing, I like to print it out, to print the space out. And I like I don't want to come up with the flow. I want to come up with like, okay, this is the spacing and stuff like that. And like very rudimentary tools of making rulers and stuff like that inside the engine as well as inside Maya or on top of paper, right? Just using a ruler and being like, all right, this person's one inch from this, you know, or, or like, you know, two and two centimeters or so. And then this mm-hmm. person is this much far away. So then you start really spacing it out so you can get an overview because I feel like a lot of game design, like a lot of games we work on, right? We don't get a good overview and overview is very important for us to do. So, that is one of the things like to me overview is a big part of the toolbox you know in a very long way overview is a big huge toolbox thing for us right um and i am the type of person i love collecting tools i love collecting images i love collecting things so like another one of my tools that i really encourage people to do is if i'm working on a game i try to grab all the music from the game and if i want to focus and i'm working on something i have all the music playing in a um like Windows Media Player on the side. And boom, I'm listening to the music. I can get the vibe and stuff. When I'm working on a level, I'd listen to the music of that level and go from there. If you don't have that, I put my background sometimes set to um, just cycle. And I have mm-hmm. a concept art from the game I'm working on. And that is constantly just shifting. So sometimes I'll just, if I'm having problems thinking, I just shift D or Windows D, you know, like let everything down. And my screen will just change and cycle and stuff like that and just looking at the concept art again that's another tool we can use to kind of put ourselves into that creative kind of that creative flow because it's like really hard to sometimes get yourself into that creative output right and then time boxing Mm -hmm. is another tool like time boxing is a great great tool for us because if we know especially a lot of people in the game industry we're all procrastinators so if we time box we're going to wait to the last 15 minutes in that time box before we actually start doing something you know so we have to be smart about tricking our brains into doing stuff. And this is another tool that we have to get good at. Mm. Yeah, like uh, I interviewed someone a while ago on the Game Dead London podcast, and they mentioned like uh, this technique of uh, constantly paying attention in like work atmosphere. So it's um, doing work for a certain amount of time. I can't remember what the exact time was, but um, after that set time, actually getting out for five minutes, just going for a walk and then coming back to your desk, almost like refreshing your mind to make sure that you're always in like the correct headspace when it comes to like developing games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it definitely helps. There was a term for it and I just completely forgot. <laughs> I mean, there's terms for everything nowadays, so who knows? There's a lot of stuff. Um, now that actually the last tool I want to mention though is 
um, in the past few years, I've been using a digital notebook. You know, mm -hmm. like um, they have books or they have Remarkable, um, the iPad. They have a few other ones, right, that people can just sit there and just take notes and stuff. And those are actually really good because when I don't have those and I'm using paper, like a little notebook and stuff like that, I will go through that whole notebook and then all those notes are gone because I'll never go back and read it. But I've noticed that if I have it digitally and I have it organized and stuff, then I can quickly go to the folders and I can quickly go to where I have this one topic. So then, because like if you have a normal thing, right, you have a meeting on Monday, then you have a meeting on Friday and stuff. If you go to like a paper one, the notes are going to be like page 15 and then the next notes are going to be on like page 45 or something. Right. And those aren't together, but like in a digital one, you know, the notes you have set up are going to be right next to each other because you can have different files and folders and stuff. So you can organize your notes way better. That has actually done a really good for me to really good thing for me to kind of organize myself and structure. So that way I'm always prepared for notes and like note taking, I see a lot of junior developers and a lot of developers nowadays just don't take enough notes. And I feel sound like kind of date myself, but like a lot of the older developers I see, like we're always constantly taking notes, maybe because we can't remember anything and all you young people, you know, remember <laughs> everything, but you know, like it is something that, you know, like I always push the people that I'm managing or the people that I'm mentoring is like, Hey, take more notes. And cause mm -hmm. if you write it, you listen to it, you write it down, you put it in your own words, you know, you're going to retain it a little bit better. So note-taking is another big tool to use. Mm. No, yeah, I totally agree with that because um, I am notorious for carrying around these little red notebooks at work. Mm -hmm. Like I, I have a physical one rather than a digital one, but I add the extra element of labeling the date for each of the notes so I can almost flick through it like a diary. Mm -hmm. um, and I even like label the notebooks themselves to be like, oh, I took notes in this book from November of 2020 to January of 2021, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so it's almost like, uh, yeah, like a, a historical uh, library of like my notes taking uh, during like our project or during just general design. Mm -hmm. um, and one, one mainly because I'm just very forgetful and I will probably forget, but there's something satisfying about like having everything written down and be like, okay, I can always come back to this information later, but I now know that the information is stored and that's exactly what I need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a big thing. At least like knowing it's there so you can always review it. So like when I'm working on like my little side projects at home and stuff and I'm always doing little drawings, I'm always writing stuff and mm -hmm. having these things in like just one place always helps out so much. It's kind of like, you know, when you're like leaving for your keys, if your keys are always on the dresser, it's like, cool, everything is right in the world, you know? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I totally agree with that. And like, I like also being quite visual when I take notes as well. Um, so I could just normally write notes with a, a simple pen, but I also have like a highlighter. So if I listen to like a, a GDC talk or listen to like a lecture, uh, uh, um, just a, a general game design talk. Mm -hmm. I will write down as many notes as I can, but then highlight the key things afterwards just so then I remember like the key information because it's so easy to take too many notes and then fill a page within like a few days. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And then you forget why did I even take this note? This is not important. Exactly. Why did I put pizza five times? I don't know. <laughs> I'm really hungry. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, so we, we sort of talked about like the different tools and stuff and the different misconceptions that people have about game design. But uh, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges as a game designer? I think, so I think that this is, this really ranges from person to person, right? I feel like there's some really good designers out there that are amazing at being able to kind of share their vision or share their thoughts on why an idea works, you know? And <clears throat> so the biggest challenge sometimes is some of the people that are not good at sharing their ideas or not sharing their things, right? So like there's instances of people where they're more the quiet designer, right? The quiet designers, I think, have a big challenge in kind of pushing their idea, pushing the concept and showing that, hey, this works, you know? And that requires like other people to trust them. That requires other people to be able to listen to them. And sometimes for game designers specifically, I believe most of us are always in the mentality that our idea is the right one or our kind of the way that we should go about doing things is the right thing. And I think that's a big struggle for a lot of designers and stuff. And I try to catch myself all the time on that still to this day, because like, there's like, well, no, why are we doing this? This seems wrong, you know? And we just need to learn how to like listen better or being able to evaluate granted not many places we work at have time to actually evaluate stuff it's always you should just go 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 you know so it's tough for game design another struggle is the pace at which we need to create systems content and everything you know we have deadlines we have to meet those deadlines and that is always a big struggle for game design because Otherwise, we would love to have the time to sit there and think of the perfect solution and work out the perfect solution, but we'd rarely ever have the time to come up with the perfect solution. And usually there's never, ever a perfect solution. Like every solution has pros and cons. Then we just got to make the decision. Um, decision making, I think, is another big thing for um, game design, right? And that's also running on a gambit, too, because we have this range of... So <clears throat> to me, I think a lot of juniors they're either in one camp or the other, right? They're like, make slow decision because they're not sure about what they're doing, so that's lack of confidence. Or they're very much full of confidence and they just make quick snap decisions without actually thinking of the consequences, right? And then you have like way senior people that fall into the, those same exact kind of things where like they have the, the ones that make the quick decisions, but they're making it based on prior experience. Or they have the ones that are kind of paralyzed because they have a lot of experience and they're like, I uh, here's all the pros and those cons. There's no good answer. There's no good solution, right? So like whether junior or senior, I believe like they still have the same problem. And then the middle, it's all that same the same range. So that's also one of the biggest struggles, I think, or biggest challenges for game designers. And then sometimes just sharing our vision or sharing ideas with other departments because they don't speak the same language as game design. Game designers don't even speak the same language as game designers half the time, you know? <laughs> Because like some people are more visual, some people are more tech, some people are more logical, some people are more emotional, and it really depends. So like even when we're doing designs, we have to start thinking about, you know, what's our emotional target, what's our functional target, what's our fun target, you know, and what's our tech target. So like all these things we have to start looking at, we have to start encompassing that into all the designs that we make and all the um, all the various decisions that we have to make, whether it's micro or macro decisions. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And like one of the most important things as well uh, for being a game designer is your your use of communication. And I feel like 
one learning how to communicate the ideas that you have to everyone is mm -hmm. like something that uh, game designers really need but then communicating it to uh, all the different individual developers that are within a team because similar to like you said everyone will have like different ways of like functioning so some people might be more creative than others Punk people might want more logic and more like statistics mm -hmm. uh, sent their way um so it's all about like communicating the design to like everyone within a room yeah. uh, as well as like having that confidence to actually communicate your uh design in the first place yeah i also think something that you mentioned earlier was like the analogy used of like 10 different puzzles and trying to fit all this stuff into a puzzle right like i think one of the biggest struggles sometimes for design is just the ability to focus on like just one thing which we rarely ever get a chance to do because like everything's always on fire and everything <laughs> always needs our attention you know so we're constantly just putting all those pieces and stuff like that and trying to make like something like coalescing that together so mm. but it's kind of the fun and the magic <laughs> yeah it's like controlled chaos in a way yes. it's like but we're the ones controlling the chaos but like our hands are still on fire, but it's like, this is, this is fine. This, this is, is fun fine. and yeah. fine. <laughs> the, the, the dumpster that's on fire going down the river, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we just have a sign like up high that says, this is fine. <laughs> this is what's supposed to happen. <laughs> As designed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you mentioned like, earlier about like there being different roles and stuff. Mm -hmm. within like a game development team uh especially with like the use of the the puzzle analogy of like mm -hmm. different departments being put together so what would you say are the responsibilities of a game designer within that development team oh man i think again this goes back to just being different per studio you mm -hmm. know because every single studio has it set up differently um there's some studios set up that are very product based where you know, the studio is set up to be very organized and structured to be like, hey, this is the product we're making and it's hyper efficient to make this product, right? It's meant to basically do, do, do. And then other ones are like people focused where that one is more put to where the people that are working with each other and stuff like that, not necessarily the product to make the product, but to make the team work together. And there's really no good answer and stuff. This was something that's like a PMP was looking at and like um just a bunch of project management stuff was like all right what are we doing here you know so like and this is looking at cases of like industry tech and all that and trying to make everything kind of situated you know so like the game designer we have a very split role because we're the ones kind of doing the design we're the ones that are supposed to be the glue of things right we're supposed to be doing all these things but then we have departments like production which their job is supposed to be project management. Their job is supposed to be timelines. Their job is supposed to be task tracking, you know, but a lot of that stuff kind of overlaps with what game designers do because if we're, we're pushing a system or we're pushing a design, right, we have to know what tasks are being done. We have to know who's doing what, when is it going to be done, and why is that? And that overlaps with production, right? The same thing with tech. If we know that tech is working on something, then we got to get in there, work with tech, and collaborate with them so that way we could actually be like okay so this is how it works this is why it works tech teaches us how the stuff like we design the system we give it to tech tech is like hey we built this system here's how here's how it works and here's how you do this you know and it's like a push-pull grant i'm generalizing it really high level but it's that push-pull with 
tech as well and being like yep this is how it works this is how it this is how it um you work with this and this is how you can create data for the game boom now you're collaborating with that so you're now you have production you have tech you're collaborating with, then you have art you have audio you have all the different things right so we're being pulled in so many different directions that we have to know a little bit about of all that stuff so we can actually mm -hmm. talk some of that like come up with a terminology right some definitions in which we could all talk the same language so that's also kind of one of our roles is building that terminology you know um <clears throat> when i was working on um, wildstar like many years ago um we had a basically a small team and i started with ai and I was doing like um, combat packages, I was doing stuff. And then I moved over from there to the path team and the path team, we created all the missions for ourselves. We created all of the NPCs for ourselves. We created the AI packages, the spell packages, the player abilities. We created all of the visual effects, you know, like, well, we took all the visual effects from the visual effects team, you know, but like we basically just grabbed everything we could to kind of put it together and being like, hey, this is what it is. When we did a redesign and everything, we also had to make sure that none of our paths crossed the other ones or didn't overlap as much. So I was in charge of the soldier. So like I was doing the assassination missions. I was doing the rescue ones. I was doing the SWAT ones and stuff where I got to like make huge things and dumb like really really dumb stuff like we had this one mission i didn't even design it someone else had designed it but i thought it was just awesome so like these aliens were like going around and trying to abduct sheep for whatever reason and you had to go and jump and knock the sheep out of the thing otherwise the <laughs> sheep would just start raising up and they'd be just like licking at this licking at you and so that while they're eating their thing and you just have to like jump and like knock into them to knock them out and once you knock them out the, sh the aliens would get mad and then zoom off and then another one would come and try to pick another sheep so like the whole event was you trying to knock sheep out of this ray beam that is bringing them up for whatever reason we never explained the reason why and it was really funny because the community would just go crazy with explaining why and like narrative at some point was like well we have to explain why we have to give them like no we don't no, we don't. So like sometimes the role is to basically say no. You know, sometimes the role is to be like, yes, let's go crazy with this. Yes, I don't need to redesign this. I just need to push it further. I need to get crazier mm -hmm. with it. We had another one where like you had five you had five um five mines and you basically strap mines to the sheep, the rouse dowers and stuff like that in game. And and if you like set them off, because it was like remote trigger, if you set them off, you could blow up more. And then we had a little ticker on the side. This is how many, how many sheep you blew up, you know? And some people were like, they were mad that we didn't make this quest repeatable because people wanted to do this one again. So that way they can just blow up sheep again and being like, so they can get higher numbers and stuff. And we just gave them that number. So people started posting screenshots of how, how many sheep they blew up in one go. And it's like, okay. So just, <laughs> you got it. Like we just give people like dumb stuff to do and they enjoy it. And like, I mean, have you, have you played tears of the kingdom at all? Uh, I played snippets, but I have watched my partner play uh, many hours of Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> it is insane. Like the role of the designer there, right, was they they made Lego blocks and they gave it to the players, right? Mm -hmm. And then watching what the players do, the emergent gameplay that's come out of it, like some of these players are geniuses and the tools that we give them, you know, and like they just go insane on it like they had person with a mech that was like shooting stuff and they had things like smashing people they made like a, a springboard that like catapulted you know people and stuff like that and it's just like they're again the role of the designer here is just 
giving the player tools, giving the player toys, you know, and that's what we mm -hmm. need to do is like, we need to be able to do all this stuff. So on the work side, we need to collaborate, we need to get stuff, we need to coordinate things, you know, but then on the player side, we need to also make sure that we're giving them things to do, giving them activities, building that fun, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I feel like when you give players that extra level of creative freedom that they can have within a game, it really like immerses their experience because it's not just like, oh, I'm giving, I've, I've been given a tool to go from point A to point B and then that's it. Mm -hmm. um, you allow them to sort of like play to their own style and like whether they want to skip a whole Tears of the Kingdom uh, puzzle and just make a bridge, then they can do that. Because I definitely didn't do that. Because that would be that would be crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, but then, if you want to give them a hook with a, a platform in it to slide down uh, said space that you could put a bridge on, um, then you could also do that. You know, um, it's yeah, like you said, it's given given the players the tools in which they can approach yeah. puzzles in different ways. Toys are always fun, especially when it comes to. Like us as designers, we need to always think about the player. And I feel like that's another big struggle is a lot of players, a lot of designers forget about the player and they just want to design for themselves. And it's going back to the old question, but even within roles though, like we have to be able to look at it and say, okay, we're an entertainer. That is our role. How do we entertain the player? How do we give the player structure? How do we give the player rules? How do we give the player any of this, right? So it goes into how we make the design decisions. It goes into how we make our designs in general and then working with the different departments. So it's like, again, going back to like the saying, it's like, we're glue. We need to be able to tie mm -hmm. in all the stuff that art's doing, the tech is doing, and within the time frame that production has set. Mm, yeah, I have uh, always seen this sort of like running joke go around in uh, different cycles of just opening up the internet. Uh, and it's like production saying, oh, how long uh how long do you need for the project and then this game designer saying how long can we have yes <laughs> and it's sort of like the uh like mexican standoff of being like well <laughs> you choose <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, uh yes <laughs> it's it, it can be uh yeah it's, it's always room for like making decisions but then also allowing yourself that little room, breathing room to like actually make those decisions Yep. yep. Mm. And uh, yeah, so earlier we were talking about like note taking and like communication, but what would you say are like some of the skills that you need to become a game designer or like what are the core skills to be a game designer? So I kind of break this up into two categories, right? So when I'm when I'm doing interviews, I don't necessarily look for hard skills. I look more for soft skills, right? Mm -hmm. And some of those soft skills kind of lead into more attributes. So like, of course, I want people to be creative, but I'm also okay with the person's not being creative, but if they're logical, it, again, it depends on the role, right? I want a person to be super driven. I want a certain person to be like, I want them to be persistent after something, you know, I want them to be adaptable and flexible. I want them to kind of be like knowledgeable about a lot of different things and be able to articulate themselves. I think that is another big attribute and stuff, right? And that goes back to what you were saying is like communicative. Um, I want a person that's going to be super research hungry. It's like, I don't know about that. Oh my God, I don't know about this. How do I find out about it? Like that curiosity. I think curiosity is a very underrated kind of skill or attribute of a person that we need to kind of look at because some of the smartest people I have ever met in my life, all of them have been very curious about little things and they have no problem saying they don't know. 
which to me is another skill of saying, hey, I don't know something, but I'm willing to learn or I'm willing to kind of, um, I'm willing to take time to learn it, you know? So, and then collaboration, it's to be critical about things and be objective about things. Those are another skills and, and attributes that I definitely want, you know, for the, um, it's what I want from people when I'm talking to them. With other designers that I'm working around, I don't want to know it all. I want people to actually sit there and be like, hey, let's learn this thing. Or, hey, I'm going to learn this and then I'm going to teach you. Cool. If I don't have to go take my time to learn it and you're going to teach me, that's awesome. Then I can learn from you and, again, start doing that stuff. So, like, being able to learn and then being able to teach it to other people, you know? So, I think those are kind of important for, like, skills and attributes of what designers can or what they should be doing. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And it's just like absorbing that knowledge so then you can share it with others and then see if everyone else has the same understanding of said knowledge as well. So it's just making sure that you're all on like the same page while also questioning each other and like asking, but why did we choose that? And what makes you think that over the thing that I thought? But in a, like a nice critical way rather than like in a, in a, an emotional like boy mm-hmm. let's say that it's not a bad thing to be emotional about your your, your, your stuff because it's definitely like passion drives creativity but um, it's it's something to just sit down and be like okay how can we have a discussion about this without it being like heated for example mm-hmm. my favorite mm-hmm. kind of conversations <laughs> <laughs> And that's a chaotic meeting if I <laughs> ever was to be part of one. Um. <laughs> no, but like when we're working on things, right? Like um, you and me have collaborated a little bit here and there, you know, when we worked with each other. And it was more of like, all right, cool. What's going on? What do you need? You know, and that's mm-hmm. the important thing is like, okay, what do you need? I need this from this system. You need this from this system. Cool. Do they meet? Can they work with each other? If they don't work with each other, then that's where like the critical that's the objectiveness coming in of being like okay cool well these two needs don't match all right what's the importance what's the purpose of this system what's the purpose of this if it's this and it matches closer to like this angle or this axis then the needs of this we can throw those out then and go here and make a new system for this you know so Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of things we need to do with adaptability and flexibility and just being like you know what is the need of the game and what is the one of the player? Like, I think the guys that made Arc, they had a really cool matrix of when we're making new systems, when they're making new systems and so like that, they basically had a little matrix of like, is this good for the player? Is it easy to make? Is it without controversy? You know, and like the controversy thing I thought was interesting because, you know, like I said, like if two designers are like, well, I want this, I want this. Okay, what are the needs of the system? Well, the needs of the system align closer to this. Well, then let's go this, take the ego out of of that process and mm-hmm. look at more of the needs of the system needs of the game and the needs of the vision right so i think that's really important for like a lot of the different attributes and skills that a designer needs no yeah that that makes that makes sense and like i i couldn't agree with you more in the sense of just like what do we need out of these systems and like how can we tie these systems together uh and do we even need x y and z system to begin with like does it work with every other system that we're designing yeah um this also ties into something that i mentioned like a while back in this conversation which was getting an overview right so some of the tools that we need for game design is like getting an overview and if we can get that overview even from a system standpoint and like what you had mentioned where do the systems work together and like that is a huge overtaking so if we can get the systems to work with each other 
boom, it makes it like so much easier, you know? And also we save a lot of time with things because like um, a project I've worked on in the past, right? We had like a few different spawning systems and we're like, but why? If we use one spawning system, then we are only maintaining one spawning system, you know? Mm -hmm. So like I had worked on Godfall and we had spawning from a spreadsheet that was really weird then we had like hand placed ones in unreal and then we had ones that were events that were spawned differently but then that event would sometimes take the spawning of hand placed ones and sometimes would take the thing and it was such a mess trying to figure out when you're trying to like debug someone else's um you know scripts and stuff you're trying to debug someone else's content it would take four to five times longer to fix something where like if I looked at my stuff, I'd be like, oh yeah, I know what I did because I did it, you know, so I can fix my stuff really quickly. And so like for the different expansion packs that I worked on and also for the main game for the patches I worked on, like it was slowly by the end of the second expansion pack because we had a solid one system to do and it was so much easier to troubleshoot. It was so much easier to maintain the data because it was something that was maintained in one place, you know? But it took like six months of a year or to a year of conversations, you know, to even get it to that point. And then by that to that point, you know, that project was shutting down. So like by the end of that project, we finally learned our lesson and was like, oh, yeah, OK, yes, we're going to have one spawning system, you know. So it was it's always a learning. <laughs> it's always learning. <laughs> yeah, like every time that I uh, talk to someone who wants to try and get into the industry or just get into game design, I'm just like, just be prepared to constantly be learning. Like, even if you're coming out of education, you will still continue to learn no matter where you are in the games development team. Yeah, I, I remember like I talked to some students that were in like elementary, middle school, you know, and it was really funny when talking to them, I was telling them how like math is important. They're like, math not important. No one uses math. And I'm like, actually, so I also used to think that, but now I think this. And like, I was talking about like just the parabolic arc, right? Or sometimes like even trying to get different things. You're like, all right, um, since I worked with economy, you know, I had to do like modeling in Excel to be like, all right, this is how much this cost. This is the ratio of money. This is the, the loot cost of things. This is what I expect players to get. So it's like a lot of theoretical math and that like we're making up fake numbers and fake instances and we're controlling the whole thing. But it's still a lot of math that I would have probably in when I was in high school or middle school or something like that, like I would have been like, math is dumb. I don't need it. And then like years later, I'm like, oh, I wish I would have paid attention to math more. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Like, it, it's very interesting having people question what like secondary school or high school uh, subjects actually apply to something like game design because mm -hmm. it's always uh, interesting when you actually lay it out and say like, oh, actually, you'd be surprised at how much geography is needed when it comes to like looking at a level or when we're looking at history we'll actually need to pay attention to the narrative to make mm -hmm. sure that that ties into what we're designing for example so yeah. just it's a really a big eye-opener when you're talking to like uh, younger students as well so mm -hmm. like not in like higher education like university for example oh, yeah. but at those who are like teens and like below where they're just like um just playing games all day and it's like um actually it's not quite that <laughs> but it's still just as fun i always tell people also like um the younger students i talk about psychology which is important they're like what but why and i start going into like just human behavior marketing you know and like all mm -hmm. the strategies in which we have to 
kind of use right the tricks of the trade that we use to like get people to keep playing and stuff and then like even when you talk, start talking about like intrinsic and intrinsic goals like that's all psychology these are all lessons that mm -hmm. we've learned from these various industries that like when you think people think about psychology they don't think about gaming at all you know but then we're like we're profiling the players we're profiling the target audience we're doing stuff this is all psychology in the works you know and designers we have to kind of think about all that stuff even public mm. speaking like in, in school like i was telling the students like public speaking is such an important skill because you need to be able to convey your ideas you need to be able to present your ideas and if you can present your ideas you're more than likely going to have people listen to you that's just like you know that's just that simple thing right so it's mm. just all the stuff in school like they can help you at least get a base yeah and like yeah it's always interesting as well just like even when I was in school, the the prospect of becoming a game designer was so like arbitrary. It was it wasn't a thing when we were when we were in secondary school because there was the option to take media studies, but then it was like I don't think this could become like a thing, you know. Um, and then obviously I was proven wrong, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 I feel like it's becoming more and more open to yeah. students nowadays. Mm -hmm. But I feel like. Um, like a, a few years back, it might have been the case that like you can't be, you can't get paid to be creative. That's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think also like I didn't even know it was a job until like early millennia. You know, just I didn't even it didn't even the concept of it didn't even pop in my head. Like I remember when I was young, like I wanted to be like a Lego designer. Like that would have been like that's my dream cool. job. You know, because I was always doing Legos and stuff like that. And that's actually how I kind of like started doing design was Legos. Mm. and um my brother wouldn't play um battletech with us because it was too complicated so i basically rewrote all the rules and made my own version of it simplified everything and then we built all the legos and stuff you know and then we had like the whole living room would just be like legos everywhere and like mechas and planes and like tanks and all that stuff right and little units and stuff all over the place and like we would do full-out battles like it'd be like warhammer battles but all legos you know and stuff like that and then we were like and when your thing got destroyed the person that destroyed it got to take your lego that you created and just destroy it and then put it <laughs> put the pieces into a bucket and then before we had the next war you had to create units and pieces and stuff like that so like every time we had a war the whole entire battlefield would look completely different because we would tear down like mechas and stuff like that, make new ones with different weapons and stuff like that. And so we had like dice rolls, we had all that stuff. And it was just like a constant thing. And, you know, and like I was designing that stuff when I was like seven, I still think I still have like the, um, the graph paper that has like all the, the rules and stuff written on it, you know, with my grubby little hands. <laughs> and it's like just doing this, like, all this stuff back in the day, I would have never even thought it was a thing like, like I had Legos were a thing. So I was like, oh man, I could do Legos. But games were still mm -hmm. this like magical thing of like, I don't know, these games just pop up out of nowhere. I feel like Lego is always used as an, as, as an analogy when it comes to describing just being a creative and putting things together and like filling in the blanks of an imagination. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you get given like a, a small uh grid on as like a lego piece and then like some wheels and then like maybe you also get given like different colored uh blocks and mm -hmm. different other mechanical structures it's like what can i make out of this and then how can i make this fun and it's like using that to um do like a frankenstein moment of bringing 
alive your uh, imagination and like the fun of like a game that you were coming yeah. up with essentially yeah i mean but the thing is like legos was the only toys that i had and to me like legos was just kind of just a big part of the childhood like books of course you know reading and stuff like that was always in that fantasy world the the mecha world and stuff and then like legos and of course video games but it was still always like i moved around so much in my life that legos was the only toy i was allowed to bring with me because i could just tear it down put it into a big bucket you know and then go mm -hmm. where like other things took up too much space so we were only allotted so many boxes to move with so every time we move we're like, nope, we can't take this. So it'd be chucked and we just had our boxes, our allotment of boxes we could take, you know? So it just moving around internationally, moving around within the US, like the US is massive. So moving mm -hmm. around from here to there, I was always moving every like six months to two, six months to two years, I was always moving, so. I mean, yeah, that, that, I can imagine that being like kind of a chaotic experience, but still having that internal sort of creative liberty of like i still have these legos and i can still like make mm -hmm. my uh my my imagination come to life uh must have been a lot of fun and you oh, yeah. you mentioned like we've we've sort of discussed what it is to be a game designer and we're sort mm -hmm. of going into like more of like becoming the game designer now um so i'd be curious what was it like moving internationally to become like part of a game dev team so i started in game dev in 2002 um like when i graduated from full sale and i started doing any stuff right those i stayed locally in the us but when i say locally in the us right there was like 3000 miles between where i was moving so like about the same size as moving from one side of europe to the other side so like i was always constantly moving between california uh virginia new york uh, boston washington state um florida and texas you know like those places and stuff but then i've also lived in um panama central america and then um i worked on um i was working on skull and bones actually in singapore for for a few years as well joining a new team that is a different culture that is <clears throat> it was it was interesting to say the least and the reason why i'm saying it's interesting is because I actually clicked almost instantly with the, um, a lot of the Singaporeans. Um, and I think that because of the military background, like me growing up on base and me being around military all the time and everyone there, all the guys at least, all have to do national service. So all of them are went through boot camp, all of them went through training and stuff like that. And so like I worked also before I did games, I also worked with the military a little bit as well, doing contract work for IT. So I had to do some training. I had to do some things with the military and I was always around the military and I always lived around military bases. So when I moved to Singapore and I started talking to the Singaporean guys and stuff, it was just very much easy to get along because a lot of them were trained by um, like European NATO units and trained by the US. So it instantly just clicked where I could just talk to them like military and they were like, yep, no problem. It was like really easy, you know? Then, later years later you know i moved to sweden and it is way different because no one really has that militant background no one really has that hustle culture we're like singapore and the us have that hustle culture you know and like you can work a lot and like workaholics are welcome we're like in sweden workaholics are like frowned upon a little bit 
So it's a different change because they're like, whoa, whoa, I need my work life balance. I work my eight hours and that's it, you know? And where I'm used to, like, even today, I'm still doing like nine to 10 hours a day because I'm like, I choose to do this because I'm just like, all right, I'm less efficient because I'm doing this. But at the same time, I'm taking the time to build a relationship, taking the time to do what I feel is important. So Sweden is such like a foreign concept for me when it comes to joining a, a new team, you know, or joining a new international team, at least. Um, and it's kind of like it's slowing me down a little bit which is not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a good thing because now I'm just like, oh, okay, I have more time for myself now, you know? Um, in Singapore, it's like we worked a lot, but at the same time, it's like they also work hard. They play hard and stuff. So like after work, we'd all go for drinks or food and stuff. It was always around food, you know? And I was always busy, constantly busy. We're here in Sweden. Like I have constantly a lot of alone time which I'm still like very just like adjusting to. And I've been here for more than a year and I'm still adjusting to like a lot of alone time. I'm used to like also being Latino, Latino descent too. Like when mm -hmm. I'm around, when I'm in the U S around home or wherever my family's at, then it's like 20, 30 people are like right there on top of me. You know, like our parties are like the small parties are 50 people, you know, and like our normal like family events are around 300 people, you know? And a lot of people are like, Oh, there's so many people. But it's like, again, going back to internationally, you know, like my family, we're from Puerto Rico. So it's like the U.S. is not, U.S. mainland is our home, but it's still different because in different parts of the U.S. is different cultures too. And the West Coast is more chill than the East Coast. The East Coast is that, again, that hustle culture. So even me moving from just Virginia to New York to um, L.A. and stuff like that, then it was like way different vibe, different culture and stuff. Singapore I didn't have that it was hustle. Sweden, it's like not hustle. So it's like I had to like tone myself down with it. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to adjust. And like, these are skills that I've been learning throughout my whole life, being a military brat and moving around from base to base all the time that like, okay, what's the vibe here? Okay, cool. I need to match this vibe. Okay, what's the vibe here? I need to match this vibe. So it's a constant, like being a chameleon, constantly shifting to match the vibe as needed. And then, like, the last part of the rant, I swear, will be, like, <laughs> will be to where, like, you know, um, military brats are usually pretty good at being this chameleon, being this thing, right? And that's why we can get along really quickly with people because, like, hey, we get in, we, we make the objective is to, like, all right, find where the locals are, find what's, what the locals do, and then emulate that, you know? So it is a lot of that. So adaptability is a huge skill, a huge thing. It's a, it's something that we need to do and internationally, especially people are from different cultures. So something I take for granted might offend and stuff like that. Like some of the, like the Britishisms we were talking about earlier, you know, like some of the Britishisms I'm just like, what? That makes no sense. But like, okay, I'm just gonna run with it. What does that mean? You know, and just mm -hmm. asking questions and not being afraid to ask questions. So like, it's really funny when the Swedes try to teach me like Swedish terms and I'm, I say it and they completely butcher it and they're all like dying laughing at me and I'm like okay humility you got to just roll with the punches you know <laughs> like if people can laugh at me and can do like that then usually I get along with them better right and that relationship building means that I can actually just go up and talk to them like hey I need help with this I need help with this and they'll be more forgiving as well in when you walk when you work with them so mm. when I was in Singapore I was learning Singlish I was learning a little bit of um, well Singlish is like English Hokkien Tamil Mandarin and Mal Malayu. So I had to learn like mm -hmm. five different languages, five different phrases, different phrases for five different languages and then put that together into sentences, you know? And so everywhere you go, like learning a new language and just getting into the culture and just 
figuring things out like that's step number one and then the work stuff is similar but even still it's still different in how you work and why you work with certain people of different cultures so long about yeah. way <laughs> <laughs> no it does kind of like tie into the stuff that we were mentioning before how it was like sort of learning how to communicate with different teams because it's not like you're gonna interact with five different clones for yourself you will interact with people from all walks of the earth um the world would end if i had a clone it'd be bad <laughs> i don't know what i would do if i had a clone it was just i would just i would just explode <laughs> um but yeah it's like just uh understanding the people around you and then like learning how to communicate to those and within like the right ways and uh while still like communicating the information that you may need as well yeah but um yeah, you sort of mentioned how like you've been to all these sort of different countries and like different states as well so you've probably been exposed to like all sort of different mediums and like different like games so what inspired you to become a game designer seeing as you were exposed to so many different avenues of different like career choices mostly just um piss my parents off you know the one <laughs> way i can piss my parents off no um I got, like I mentioned before, Legos, right? Battletech, um, Robotech, um, playing tabletop games, playing board games and stuff, you know, um, Dungeons and Dragons, um, like all the, the stuff, like reading the fantasy books and stuff growing up with Ari Salvatore, Michael A. Stackpole, like all those books as well. Um, but like, that's what kind of got me into my journey of like being creative and going from there, right? And just playing games in general. And then when I found out it was an actual job, I was like, what? People actually do this for a job and they get paid for it? Awesome. But then, like, uh, my parents were very against it. So because they were against it and, you know, me being anti-authority, I was like, well, I'm going to do it more. So then I kind of just kept going the route and I stayed the course. And here I am 20 years later still making games and still having fun. So that's kind of good. Like, my parents for the first few years were like, oh, well... When are you gonna get a real job or when are you gonna do this and i'm like but i have a real job but then like now they're like okay they just leave it alone but the journey itself though right it really started with just having fun like doing campaign like creating campaigns for people and having them play it having them give me feedback um making little games here and there and having people play them like i'm working on a little pvp a pvp maze puzzler type of thing right mm -hmm. now you know and having people just whenever they come over to have them have them just play test it and when they play test it it's kind of just kind of like i i like that kind of feeling of like entertaining people and i've talked about the entertainment as like you know as a designer we're supposed to be entertainers you know and i like that entertainment part i like that kind of getting people to do activities and stuff and having fun with that so when i was younger i was always creating campaigns i was always writing stories i was always doing stuff and I actually <clears throat> worked as a um, reporter for doing for the newspaper, local newspaper in Virginia Beach um, for a little bit. So I was working there doing a correspondent. They didn't really have any Latinos. So I was the only Latino on the group. So mm -hmm. anytime this, the Hispanic population, Latino population had an event, they would send me and I'm like, cool. So I got to go to all these parties and I got to go to all these events and stuff like that. And I was writing about it, you know, giving reviews and you know, just doing that. And I, in high school, I also did a lot of journalism. I also did architecture. I, I was really into architecture and stuff. My mom forced me to do um, theater, which I hated. But like now that I've done theater, I'm like, okay, like this was interesting. You know, um, public speaking. I did a lot of uh, extraneous, 
exchange experiment yeah i can't say the word but basically um i was part of like a vocational vocational school and they had a group that we would do five minute talks right and they would give you 15 minutes prepare and then you had to do a five minute speech based on the 15 minutes preparation you had and then you had to go out there and just talk so like this is talking in front of like 100 200 people you know and mm -hmm. so like extemporaneous speaking there we go i got it <laughs> but like um so i would do that and all of this stuff is kind of just building into me being able to talk about things being able to look at stuff communicate with people right these are all skills that have built up to my journey of becoming a game designer as well as my experience playing games and stuff making mods like everyone made warcraft you know the rts warcraft mods you know everyone made like the starcraft mods and stuff like that like old unreal back in the day before it was unreal engine you know then mm -hmm. hammer engine with like um <clears throat> with um oh my god we're gonna blank on the name half-life the hammer engine you know and like all that stuff so like i've always been dabbling with it and then just fell into my lap because like <clears throat> i was working indie from 2002 till about 2005 i was doing indie projects barely making rent half the time you know um, doing small little things here and there whether it was rigging or level design or whatever needed to be done right I could, I could do um i was even production for a year or so where i was organizing and structuring the team making spreadsheets of tasks and all that and then i um was working part-time at some places i got injured at the job and I was like, you know what, I'm done, done with this. And then I just quit my job. I moved to LA with nothing but a backpack and a laptop, a laptop case. That was it. That's all I had on my back. And I was just couch surfing for a little bit, just applying to any job that would take me. And Vivendi um, actually picked me up as a tester. So then I became a tester and quickly became like a, um, a specialized tester. So I did the MinSpec um, computers. I did the networking. So like since I had IT background, um i would basically be checking the packets sniffing the packets to basically see what i can glean from it and see where the degradation would happen and then i'd work with the different tech teams and stuff you know then i would work with the the trg which is the um the technical requirements groups of vivendi as well so like when the ps3 was come when the ps3 was out when the wii was coming out um no one there knew unix I knew Unix because of my background in IT and other stuff, you know. So basically, I could jump in, I flash the flash the drives and stuff. And little tip about the PS3 was there was a 25% chance you were going to kill that board. So when you flashed it, when you when you first flashed it and stuff like that, there was a 25% chance that thing would just turn into a brick and you had to send it back. <laughs> yeah, the it was um yeah I killed more than a few PS3s. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, oh, this is so expensive, but okay. Sony says to do this. Cool. Found the instructions from Sony and then boom. So like after that, um, they were going to be ramping down. So I made the cut, but I ended up like EA hit me up and was like, hey, we're working on this thing. We want to bring you in as a QA analyst for this. And they brought me in as a special QA person. But then within a month or so, they fired me as a QA person and maybe maybe become a designer. <laughs> And I actually didn't want to become a designer at first. I was like, eh, I don't know, you know, but then the, I started learning how to do scripting and stuff like that and start making events inside Warhammer Online. And I just had a blast just building the events and building the encounters and setting up the whole area and, and stuff, working with the artists, working with the level designers and all that stuff and just had a blast. And then I just kept jumping from like place to place um, every time I get laid off. <laughs> been laid off so many times 
and <laughs> just having fun designing and like every place is like a playpen because it's like just different toys I get to play with you know I get to build something new and I love that creation process and it goes back to being Legos it goes back to creating the campaigns it goes back to just wanting to entertain people so that's always super important for me um, that's kind of my journey like um, it is just me just constantly just going to the next thing and just like a, like a nomadic hobo <laughs> Well, it's very interesting that you like describe it that way because um as a fan of like always sunny in philadelphia and listening to their podcast they mentioned like a similar upbringing of like originally like couch surfing from place to place mm -hmm. while writing the scripts for always sunny and now it's like one of the biggest comedy sitcoms out there and like um it's definitely like high up on my list for the things that i watch regularly on tv mm -hmm. um so it's it's a case of like it might start rough but then it will definitely like soar into like the spectacular um like position that you'll you'll get into mm -hmm. yeah i'm still waiting for me to become my um like i definitely want to create my own studio that's like mm. kind of be where my journey where my journey is hopefully taking me but again we'll see i'm i'm not really planning it too like strictly because like i feel like some people are like very strict like i want this i want this and like they have the target things and i'm just like i just want to have fun i just want to create stuff mm -hmm. and work with cool people and stuff like that such as yourself I try my best to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like that's that's like a super, super uh, international like way of uh, or journey into getting into game design. Whereas, like, it's it's always I don't know. I always find it interesting um, hearing about the stories of how people get into game design, mm -hmm. uh, whether they travel all the way across the world and then something just clicks and they're like, yes, I'm now a designer or. Um, Myself, for example, I, I started design courses since college. So when, like when I was like 16, 17, mm -hmm. and I, I just like um, directed myself into it from there. So it's always interesting hearing about like where people came from and like how they got into the position that they did yeah. today. Like I've taken very few design courses ever. It's mostly been art, you know, mm -hmm. and like those courses. So like I don't know like it's just i think some people just comes naturally for to design things or want to create things and other people do not have that thing so like it's just natural inclination so it's kind of mm -hmm. cool like when you get a bunch of like game designers all together and stuff like that and like start reeling how nerdy they are you know and like all the common interests and like you start feeling like oh, i thought i was unique and then you know you're like oh i'm not that unique because everyone has <laughs> like you know similar interests but then those similar interests even like branch off into like weird things which i think is just awesome that's what makes the industry great mm. yeah I've, I've never encountered two people in the industry who have the exact same interests and the exact same things and i feel like that is sort of like the the perks of being a game designer is that you're always going to meet someone different uh, and you're always going to work with different people but it's that sort of fun of putting everyone together in a team and seeing how these different different people go together and it's 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 quite fun actually <laughs> yeah the mesh of um personalities are always just <laughs> a lot of randomness and a lot of controlled chaos as you've mentioned before <laughs> <laughs> but before you've um you said that you've worked in a few different teams and stuff like that in mm -hmm. the past and um could you sort of elaborate more on like the previous projects you've worked on and like what were your roles in each of the dev cycles Whoa. Let me see. I gotta like remember. I'm old now, you know. <laughs> so I mean, I've worked on as a designer. Um, I've worked on a few projects that never saw the light of day. 
Um, I've worked on Warhammer, um, Age of Reckoning. You know, I've worked on this one adult game that I will not mention the name of. I've worked on um, Wildstar, um, Star Citizen. I've worked on I've worked on God of War. I've worked on Skull Skull and Bones. I've worked on Godfall, and then I'm working on a, an unrenounced project right now um, for Shark Mob. But like I've also worked on a few other studios where like our game got canceled or other studio got shut down before we even saw the light of day. So like I was working on like a really cool game that I thought would have been awesome that I still to this day think would be awesome was like I was working on a 1920s 1930s um, prohibition game Ooh. and we were actually doing some really cool stuff with like how we were going to have the cops versus the robbers right or like the bootleggers versus the cops and stuff like that but then if you played a cop you could actually be a dirty cop so like even within mm -hmm. you know these different things there's two different things so we can always have an overlap so it was always going to be that three type of triangle of like you know there's some um, there's a line but there's people that are kind of footing the footing the both line right and there's gonna be an online game where people can like pvp ish and pve ish as well it's like before pv PVE became a term, you know? It was like we were already doing that back in like 2003-ish or so. And we had done, um, we had done like a, um, we ship, we flew out to California, you know, for the company and stuff. And we actually did pitching to like Atari, Activision, MGM Interactive, and EA, right? And then we basically got like, um, really good feedback from EA. So we're like, all right, cool. We're going to be getting picked up from EA and all this other stuff, you know, and it was like almost celebrations and stuff. But then like the studio closes down, whatever happens. And it turns out that like EA was also was working on the Godfather at that time, but we didn't know it. So basically like we were seen as like, oh, this can't come out. This is competition and stuff like that. So like little stuff like that was happening, but it was an amazing experience to be able to like drive, like fly over to California and then being able to talk to these companies, pitch, pitching to like the executives, pitching to the producers and stuff like that, and kind of just be a part of that team, you know, that indie team. And then mm -hmm. like there, were, there I was started as a tech artist, but then because I was organizing everyone, I quickly became the producer of the studio. So like I had 25 developers that I was basically the producer of, and I was controlling, yeah. I was basically in charge of basically tracking all their tasks, the communication, as well as making sure everyone's on the same page across design, um, audio, engineering, you know, and um, leadership. So it was like, I was kind of doing that. <clears throat> um, but it was a very much indie, so like everyone's, nothing was really structured and organized. It was just like, what needs to be done? Let's go. And then on Warhammer Online, it was more of like, that was my first job as a designer and i just basically made content i made events i made um just mmo content right in that placing all the people making sure that um the spacing felt right making sure that people had the events and go and i became i specialized in just public events which was the first one of the first games to have and coined the whole thing about public events and then afterwards like everyone copied it and i was like oh nice i was on the i was on the front line there <laughs> um and then like I was at 38 Studios, you know, for a bit and all that drama that happened with there. And there I was a content designer, but then I switched over to system design. And with the system design, I basically were taking over the tools for the whole quest system. So I, I controlled the quest system and the dialogue system, which are two huge tools because they like kind of go everywhere. So I would talk with the content people. I would support them. Um, I would do a lot of other things. When I went to Wildstar um, at NCSoft, then basically... Um, I did something similar to what I did at um, Wild, uh, on 
at um at 38 because like when 38 studios like folded all the people from all the people from carbine and ncsoft they basically hired like 25 of us or 30 of us or so so like a bunch of us just like migrated together you know, over there to california to work on it so it's like i keep going back from coast to coast and traveling everywhere um and then like on star citizen i was a ship designer which meant i like designed the ships a little bit i did some level design I did tech art again and i did a lot of just tech design of getting the pieces and components and all that stuff set up um there's actually a lot of podcasts or like um our thing where it shows me showing off the different ships so i got to like work with like people from hollywood because the concept artists we had were from like people that did like jupiter ascending you know oh, wow. people were working from star wars and some other stuff so i got to work with a bunch of like really crazy concept artists and they were super awesome you know um <laughs> actually and when i was working 38 like ra salvatore which was a author that i had grew up reading he was our narrative director so uh-huh. i was able to hang out with him talk with him and stuff like that and i was just like trying not to fanboy and i'm like <laughs> 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 um his sons worked with me and stuff so they were they were cool um but then like yeah star citizen chris roberts like i played his games when i was younger you know, like freelancer, I played Wing Commander and stuff like that. I watched some of his movies that he made. So it was kind of cool just working with him. And I was telling a friend the other day, like, because um, we were on Third Street Promenade in L.A., um, like some of the cast would just walk in and just okay. talk to Chris. So we would be like, you know, some of the famous people that we had bumped into and stuff like that. And just walking around, you see like movie stars and all that stuff just walking around because we're right there where they shop and all that stuff. And that's where the studio was because Chris had bought that space or like set up that space and uh, then like when we moved we were right in front of riot so the lcs arena in la like we were right behind the lcs arena so when we knew the lcs thing was going we're like oh man we got to leave early today or like we got to leave late so that we don't get traffic too much because la is just <laughs> terrible traffic and then yeah then i went over to like god of war at sony santa monica and stuff and the funny thing is is here is in 2005 when i moved to la i moved in with my buddy and he was working at sony santa monica on the original on the other god of wars right and him and his roommate and stuff were there forever when i got hired back on god when i got hired at sony santa monica the um, the old roommate of my friend from 2005 now it's like 2017 you know and stuff so like many years later and stuff now he's the combat lead of there and yeah, like i was the third roommate living in their cow on their couch you know and so it's really funny like seeing him years later now he's married he has kids and stuff like that and just like hey what's going on you know just haven't seen each other in forever you know so that was kind of cool and interesting and then like yeah skull and bones was moving over to singapore which i love i fell in love with singapore it was awesome um and it was a different type of studio like there i was this economy um progression and economy um lead so i basically was managing the designers managing the systems of making the economy and everything right where like on god of war i was just an encounter designer i did nothing but encounters and i messed with like combat and level flow and all that and then i went to progression economy lead and i was just taking care of that managing people managing a team of uh, like 12 different 12 developers with another lead um a lead engineer and then when I left there, I went to Godfall, which Godfall, I started out as a encounter designer. So again, just doing more combat 
um, stuff because they hired me for that role because of the stuff I did on God of War and because of the work I did with encounters in my other previous MMOs. Then from there, though, I ended up actually designing the, the last expansion pack. And basically the new game mode was um, what I had designed with a small team of people. So we had like five or six of us working on the on the game and stuff for making this new thing while the other team was working on another project. So I kind of took over leadership of that, but then I was working on the first expansion pack where I was just doing purely events and I was doing just combat and again, getting the encounters and the encounter composition set up so that way people would, I would reduce to lessen the amount of like fatigue of combat which was a big problem in the first the first game but the base game was a lot of like just issues with combat and issues with the game feeling the same and stuff like that so that was a big huge thing to try to fix that and then now i'm just more of a generic game designer again so like i'm just doing systems i'm doing a little bit of content and doing a little bit of um leading teams here and there like small little strike teams and stuff well wow. okay that's that's a, a pretty yeah big, like journey into the game design but that's still like a super interesting journey and like the fact that you've worked on so many different games from so many different genres from like single player to multiplayer to open world to like maybe more linear as well um using like loads of different tools from loads of different companies it's always just fascinating to hear what everyone's role was within like a certain uh, project as well but um yeah so you mentioned working on stuff like god of war and then like uh more like multiplayer games so what is like what is the difference in designing a single player experience from like a multiplayer experience so stars um god of war was actually my first single player game i had worked on everything else before had been all multiplayer had been all online right like mmos and stuff so i had to really change my mindset of i could actually control the um where the player hits things where the player sees things and stuff like that and that was also control i've never had before so that was also pretty different then so for instance like um in god of war i worked on um i don't know the actual name because i never actually played the game after at least but i know all the dev names so basically i know um (laughs) (laughs) but um fafnir's it was like fafnir storage or whatever the quest where like you have the thing and like the center center thing and you put the like rock in it and then like it opens up the the pathways and stuff and it opens it one at a time Mm -hmm. right so originally all those paths are open and then as you do it it, like closes off the path so like as you complete it it closes it off but then we actually changed it to where no it it opens it and stuff right so the reason why i'm mentioning this is because of like well we knew exactly where the player was going to be, where you know what's, what's going on. We knew that it's going to be one player. We knew where the camera was always going to be. We knew where it was, where the enemy is going to be. So I can actually do jump scares. I could actually have things jump out of the player. Or if I work on an MMO, mm-hmm. it's like, well, I might have a player here. I might have a player here. I might have a player here. So I have to be more careful with spawning. I have to have more spawn effects and all that stuff right there. And, you know, we were way less stringent when it comes to spawning and why they spawn and how ugly the spawning could look. Where like on God of War, like we were very specific in the spawning had to look good. Mm-hmm. Now, system design and content design, single player games are way more hacky. Like it's so much smoke and mirrors that I was like really like I, my heart was not ready for how much smoke and mirrors it was because like <laughs> coming from an online standpoint, coming from multiplayer standpoint, like we need to systemize everything. 
because we're going to be doing this stuff a lot. In God of War, we're like, yep, we're done with this level. We're not touching it ever again. I'm like, but are we going to make a system? Why would we make a system? It's going to take this long to do a system. We could just do this, hack it together with this. Oh, okay. So like <laughs> um, in God of War, this the 2018 one, that is the first time that they had the concept of respawn. You know, so I yeah. added respawn, but I had to fake it. I had to hack it because they wouldn't build a system for me to have respawn. So basically, on different narrative beats, if you go into a different level, as in the narrative with this narrative um, trigger, all it is is a little token on the player that the player cannot see at all, and it just says, "Okay, if you have this token on you, then you um, will spawn X Y Z encounters. But if you have this other token, then X Y and Z will spawn instead." So like we just had like again we didn't have a system so we just had to basically have it that so like everything was set up to like have six to nine different um, more encounters than what people probably may ever see based on when they come back and when they traverse that area again. Mm. Wow. Where again in like MMOs and stuff like that we build the systems we have spawners set up to where hey this spawner will reset in 30 seconds but then has a cooldown of five minutes or something like that and then if there's enough players in this area and they're killing like farming a lot of enemies like in wow and stuff then we speed this up or we slow the spawners down based on the current thing so like we always have some type of like heat maps of going on of like why and how we're spawning things and now with machine learning it's getting easier and easier for developers to kind of like start tapping into that data and start using data where like single player games i feel like we didn't really use data that much but we used more of emotions because it was more of a narrative game mm. and even in godfall we hacked so much stuff together just to push it out the door and be like well we don't have to worry about this so push it out and it was less systems so that was kind of a big change for my for my brain there's definitely like a, an eye-opening experience going from one to the other, just like how things are set up in the world and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, to be fair, that's pretty eye-opening for, for myself as well. I did not I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the studios I've been at, but that's my experience in the two studios that I worked on. It's like a, more of a single-player game. But again, again Mod Godfall also had like a multiplayer, uh, multiplayer aspect of it, but it was still very much closer to like God of War than it was any of the other games I worked on. Mm. Yeah, I could definitely see like the similarities between the two, but having two different genres at the end of the day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those are pretty much like most of the questions that uh, I had ready for you uh, today, Randy. But before uh, we head off, uh, I've got one last question for you, mm -hmm. uh, mainly towards like up and coming game designers. So I'd be curious, what advice would you give to aspiring game designers from like all the experience that you've had before? run run now kidding <laughs> no i'm just kidding um so the best advice i can give um and if i can only give one advice is play more board games and design more board games or tabletop something like that like um if you're an aspiring designer right and you only want to focus on doing digital stuff, then you're going to be stuck in a digital mindset where if you actually start building a tabletop, you start building this pure design, you can prototype it right now with no help, no tech, no code, nothing, you know, 
you can prototype it out, you can get people to play test it, you can get feedback, you can do all the loops of game design right now without having to worry about tech, without having to worry about art, without having to worry about stuff. You can do it right now. And that to me is like for aspiring game designers is push on just making the um making the board game, making the prototype, make it in real life, and you'd be surprised how you'll use that throughout your career. Do you think that is like pretty solid advice and uh, even talking to uh, like game designer Chloe from uh, last week, she was even saying like board games are such a good way to like visualize game design in such a quick way mm -hmm. rather than like opening up the tools and like rendering stuff. It's just like, all right, pen to paper, does this work? And oh, yeah. it's a, yeah, I feel like it's a super valuable thing to, to yep. For aspiring game designers to, to yeah. use. On um, quick story, sorry. On Skull and Bones, um, the old, the old senior designer um, before me that I replaced, um, he actually did a really cool prototype of the economy, and he basically had like little meeples and stuff like that. He had little ships and stuff, and he just gathered pieces from various board games, and he made the entire loop of the game wow. on the board game and stuff like that. So that way he didn't have to worry about tech or anything, and he can just get the directors and get people to play the game and be like hey this is the core loop this is how we want the players to play this is what we want people thinking so it's not the same but it's a close approximation enough that we could actually go through test the test the mechanics test the flow test the logic you know and that is the important thing of testing behind design and so that's it no, to be fair, they're like super valuable points and like even using your example as well from, from Scarlet Bones, it, it just shows that whether you haven't yet been into the industry or whether you're like an industry veteran, just putting pen to paper is a great way to just like showcase your ideas. Be like, these are the ideas I had. What do you think? Definitely 100% mm -hmm. like where pen to paper is the important thing because like I said earlier, ideas are worth nothing. But then once you start implementing ideas, then that's when it becomes thing tangible to intang like intangible to tangible. That is when you mm -hmm. can actually start getting things going. Nice. Well, um, yeah, that's pretty much all the questions I had for you today. Um, <laughs> and like that concludes another episode of the Game Download podcast. But uh, if anyone has, if anyone has any uh, additional questions, where could people find you across the uh, World Wide Web? Um, probably LinkedIn would probably be the best bet. So just find me on LinkedIn. I think there's a few of me though. So just look for my crazy picture. Okay. <laughs> nice. Uh, and yeah, I've been your host Nicola today and you can find me at Humphreys Media on pretty much most social media platforms. Um, I'm, I'm usually quite active. <laughs> uh, and yeah, if you want to continue this discussion as well uh, within the Game Dev London community, uh, feel free to visit the Discord on gamedev.london slash join. Um, and yeah, thanks for following, like, and subscribe for more. And be sure to visit the Game Dev London website. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Randy, for being a wonderful guest today. <laughs> Cheers. Have a good night. Okay. Bye.